him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the, to the tradition of the elders. You may be seated. Please keep your Bibles turned to Mark chapter 7 as we'll be looking at uh, uh, several verses in that uh, passage. We're continuing our sermon series from the book of Mark. And out of all the sermons that will make up this sermon series, this is the most difficult one. Because this sermon is certainly out of my comfort zone. And it may be out of your comfort zone. When we get to the end of this lesson, I want us to understand something. If you want to keep your relationship with Jesus fresh and growing and vital, don't focus on traditions and clean hands. Instead, focus on God's Word and a clean heart. Make sure your heart is not far from God. You see, what we're going to do today is we're going to do a spiritual heart checkup. One particular preacher had that happen to him in a very unconventional way. His wife's car was in the shop. He, she needed to borrow his car to go shopping for groceries. When she came back and had put up the groceries, uh, she was talking to her husband about the CD that was in his CD player. The preacher had bought a CD from a Christian university. It's, it was a CD of the songs that the kids liked to sing, that the youth group would sing. That preacher wanted to know those songs so he could sing with the kids in the youth group. And he had bought that CD about two months prior and had listened to the CD dozens and dozens of times. But his wife kept on talking about one particular song and, and how that one song had moved her and, and had, 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 really, had really impacted her. And he wondered, huh? I've heard that song. I didn't have that reaction to it. So the next time he was in the car, he fast forward to that cut and he listened to that song really for the first time, even though he had heard it many times. He listened to the words that the songwriter had written. And when he was through, he was weeping because the song had touched his heart. That man's experience... I think, is not unlike the experience of many people, especially those of us who have been Christians for a while. You see, sometimes, if we're not careful, we get to the point when we don't hear the music of the gospel anymore. Yeah, we, we, we know the words. We can recite the lyrics of the passages. We know what Matthew 28 says, go and teach all nations, baptizing them. But that doesn't cause us to want to share the gospel with our neighbor or our friend, our co-worker. 
And we know what Paul said in Galatians 6 verse 10. Let us do good to all men. But when we have those opportunities to do good to a neighbor, to a person in the community, we just let it pass on by. Oh yes, we can recite the lyrics, but the message, it ceases to touch our hearts. The message gets to be old hat, routine. And in contrast to David, who said he was so glad, so happy to go to worship, worship becomes, well, just something that we've got to do. We've got to go to worship tomorrow. Not we get to worship on Sunday. How can we keep that from happening to us? How can we keep the Christian life from becoming stale and lifeless in our own lives? Or if it's already happened to you, how can we learn to hear the music again like it was the first time? How can we recover the life and joy of our relationship with Christ again? Do you remember the day that you were baptized? Do you remember that moment? And I remember mine and I came up out of that water and I was ready to take on the devil with one hand tied behind my back. Why don't we have that same enthusiasm, zeal, and joy? Let's go back to Mark chapter 7. Here Jesus is responding to a group of people. We call them the Pharisees whose religion had become what? Had become lifeless and stale. Go back to verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. They had a ritual. They had a routine. Holding to the tradition of the elders. Now for the Pharisees, washing hands was not a matter of personal hygiene. It was a matter of personal holiness. In fact, they had an exact way of doing it. It had to be so much water. You started with the inside of the hands so many times. You rubbed them, then you worked on the outside so many times. You had to do it the right way. Now, this was especially important for the Pharisees. If they were coming back from a trip to the marketplace, because there in the marketplace, they might have touched something that an unclean Gentile might have touched. Or even worse, they might have touched an unclean Gentile himself. That's the reason why they were nicknamed the bruise and bleeding. Because if a Gentile saw a Gentile, I mean, excuse me, if a Pharisee saw a Gentile, he would close his eyes and keep on walking and so he wouldn't have to see that Gentile. And often they would run into things and become bruised and bleeding. You see, their hand-washing rituals were designed to exclude people as well as elevate themselves in their own eyes. It's really as if they were saying... I'm better than all those dirty people out there, and I must wash myself of them. That's what the Pharisees were doing in Jesus' day. And sometimes I'm afraid we may do the same thing. 
Whenever we define our own spirituality in terms of outward acts, we're doing just what the Pharisees did there in Mark chapter 7. We're in essence saying, I'm better than those dirty people out there, and we in essence are excluding them. Now, when we consider all the things we do, there's nothing wrong with most of the things we do. 99.9%. The things we do in and of themselves, it's okay. It's only when we use those things to define who is spiritual and who is not that we get in trouble. And who we're getting in trouble with? It's Jesus himself. When we focus on tradition and ritual to define personal holiness, we others and it makes Jesus angry. Look at how Jesus responds to these Pharisees. Verse 6, and he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Well, those strong words there, Lord. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as what? As doctrine, the commandments of men. They had elevated their, doct- their traditions to be just as important as God's word. And Jesus wasn't happy with them. Jesus accused them of hypocrisy, of being a hypocrite. That, that word comes from the, from the Greek plays and, and one actor would play many parts and he would hold up a mask in front of him and, you know, to play the different parts in the play. He was playing the part of the hypocrite, playing different roles in his life. They are disobeying God's commands even while they hang on to their own traditions. Who were they kidding? And who are we kidding? When we measure one's spirituality by the amount of money given. Remember the story of the widow and her two mites? When we measure one's spirituality by the eloquence of the words of a prayer. When we measure one's spirituality by the quality of a singing voice. When we measure one's spirituality by the clothes we wear. Jesus is not impressed. He's not impressed with religious rituals or traditions, especially when we neglect the clear command of God's word to love our neighbor as ourselves. So if your Christianity seems stale, if you don't get excited to be able to worship God with God's children, You might want to examine whether or not you're just following traditions of men. Are you truly obeying the commands of God? In other words, if you want the life and the joy of a real relationship with Jesus to return, focus on God's Word, not tradition. Concern yourself with God's word and God's will, not with doing it just the way we've always done it, because that's the way we've always done it. Now, you're going to stop me here and say, Michael, (laughs) 
We don't have traditions. What time do we worship on Sunday? What time do we worship Sunday evening? What time do we worship Wednesday evening? You see, a tradition, a custom, is just something you do on a repeated basis. And it's okay, it's good to know that, hey, we're going to worship here at at 10 o'clock. We're going to worship again this evening at 6 o'clock. We're going to worship on Wednesday at 7. That's good because we know how to then plan our day and plan our week. And it's good that we have the custom of our worship service so that men who serve know when the songs are going to take place and when the prayers are going to take place and where the Lord's Supper is going to be served. That's good. That's good. Traditions, customs are okay as long as, number one, they don't violate God's Word. We can't violate God's Word. And they don't hurt God's children. You see, sometimes our traditions can hurt God's children. Let me give you three quick examples. The two oldest individuals I've ever had the blessing to baptize were two men, one in Romania, one here in this country. Both men were almost 90 when they made the decision to become a Christian. This one man here in this country I'd been studying with for some time, he walks into the building one Sunday morning about 10 minutes before the Bible class was due to start. He walks up to me and says, Michael, you, you convinced me decided to become a Christian. I was so excited. I rushed to the meeting and said, guys, we got to get ready. We're going to have a baptism. Um, we can't do that. Uh, we, we can't baptize somebody? Well, you see, the, the Bible class is going to start in just a few minutes, and everybody knows we start at 10 o'clock for our Bible class, and, and then 10 minutes after the class is over, we start our worship service at 11. He'll just have to wait until the invitation song. For two hours, I prayed to God, God, don't let this man die until I get him baptized. <laughs> now, he didn't die until much, 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 much later, and I officiated his funeral. But do you see how that was hurting one man? Second example, I've mentioned it before, when I was a little boy. The elders of my home congregation decided to move the communion. Uh, communion had always, for about 100 years, happened after the invitation song. They decided to move it before the sermon for the benefit of one person. One person had taken on a new role at work at a hospital, and they were going to have to leave about during about halfway during the, through the sermon. They're going to have to leave about halfway through the sermon time, and they would not get off from work until after the Sunday evening service had been completed. So the elders moved the communion to before the sermon to benefit this one Christian. I thought as a little boy, I thought war had broken out. I saw people wagging their fingers and yelling and oh, mad, angry. The third example is the worst one. Because the first two examples only in, really impacted one person each time. This will impact a whole congregation. Uh, I have been so blessed to, uh, to have done 15 mission trips to Romania, Ukraine, and Costa Rica. 
The first trip to the Ukraine, I met a wonderful young Christian Ukrainian. And that first day I met him, he was so excited about the Lord and so excited about being a Christian. He hadn't been a Christian very long. Uh, he was worshiping with a small group of uh, uh, Christians there in Kiev. And he was so excited. He said, Michael, I want to learn how to, to teach my fellow Ukrainians the gospel. I want to learn from you. I was so excited too. The second day, he walks into the room that we were going to do the Bible studies in, and boy, his feathers were down. I mean, he was lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. He was down. I said, what happened? What's wrong? He had attended a Devo the night before. I couldn't attend a Devo. I was one of the coordinators, and we had a little glitch with one of the buildings that we were using. We had to meet with the Ukrainians to work out the rent. So I had, had to skip the Devo part to do that. At the Devo, they had called on him to do the opening prayer. So he gets up to do the opening prayer at the Devo, just like he and all of his Ukrainian brothers and sisters did, he prayed like this. Looking up, like looking up to heaven, with hands raised like he was receiving blessings, ready to receive blessings from God. One of my American colleagues called him down during the Devo and said, that's wrong. Don't ever do that. He had contacted some of his fellow Ukrainian Christians. They had talked about it, and they were all upset. Now, am I comfortable praying like that? I'm going to be honest with you. No, I'm not. Do I pray like that? No, I do not. I'm more comfortable praying like this. This is what I'm used to. This is what I'm accustomed to. But I would have never done what my American cogly did to that young man. Because I'm aware of the 21 verses. The 21 verses in the Bible that talk about praying just like that. For example, uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Psalm chapter 28. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help when I lift up my hands. The verse that we looked at in class this morning, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus looked up into the heavens. In fact, this American colleague had even implied that if this Ukrainian did not change the way he prayed, he was in danger of going to hell. I guess he's never, my American colleague had never read John 11. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I you that you have heard me. You see, we can become like the Pharisees if we're not careful. Maintaining traditions was the prime focus of the Pharisees, even to the point of violating God's Word. Verse 9. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. 
But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you had, would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, what they would do is they would take their belongings and say, well, we dedicated it to God, we can't use it to help you. Then you're no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Their traditions were like chains binding them from doing what God wanted them to do. And sometimes our traditions can do the same thing to us. As I've said before, we are the best kept secret in Hot Springs. Because of where we are and because of the trees and all, many people don't know where we are and who we are. The elders are looking at ideas to hopefully get uh, people up that hill out here and get them in our building. And the elders are, are even looking at uh, maybe in the year or two to come, uh, bringing in, uh, I think, the best evangelism seminar you can do. And if we do that, I guarantee you we're going to get people up that hill from our community. But what if we get people up, there, up that hill? And what if, what if they sit in our pew? Several years ago, I had worked on getting a family to come to be a visitor at our worship service. A mom, a dad, and four children. I was on the far side of the auditorium when they walked in. They walked in and sat down. And when they sat down, I went, oh no, they're sitting in the wrong place because I knew what was going to happen. I tried to get over to them. But before I could get to them, the lady that usually sat there walked up to them and said, you're sitting in my pew, you've got to move now. What if they sit in our pew? What if we have that custom of sitting in the same spot and suddenly they're sitting in our spot. What if they come in here and, and during the sermon they hear something they agree to and they shout out amen? Because you know, some of our sister congregations, they do that. I have visited some of our sister congregations that will occasionally do that. What are we going to do? What are we going to say? What if they go out and before they arrive here, they pull in at McDonald's and get a cup of coffee and they walk into this auditorium holding a cup of coffee? Now, I don't drink coffee. If you take all the coffee I've had in my lifetime, it might be 10 cups of my whole lifetime. I don't like coffee. And I'm not comfortable in drinking coffee in this auditorium. But am I going to walk up to that person and say, it's either get rid of the coffee or you've got to go. Decide. What will you decide to do? And what if they, in praying, pray like this? What are we going to do? Let's not allow our customs to keep us from getting people up that hill and into this building. We want to impact our community for the Lord now, we always want to stand on God's Word. And if they do anything that violates God's Word, we've got to lovingly, gently 
correct them and say, here, let me show you what God's Word says about that. But if it's something that we're just not used to because it's not our custom to do it that way, how will we react when outsiders do come in? The point is this. If we're going to love people as God calls us to love people, life is going to get messy sometimes. There'll be some stains on the carpet. There'll be some discomfort. But we must never let any of those things keep us from doing what God wants us to do. That is to seek and to save the lost. Remember back when we had traveling circuses? That's almost a thing of the past. Ever wonder how they kept the elephants in control? It was real simple. When an elephant was a baby elephant, they would chain up the elephant to a stake that was driven many, 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 many feet down into the ground. And even though that baby elephant was quite strong, that baby elephant couldn't do anything about the chain. Because as more as he pulled and tugged and pulled and tugged, he never was able to pull out the stake from the ground. And eventually the elephant, the baby elephant, would just give up, knowing that there was no use to try to pull and tug anymore. And then when that baby elephant would get old enough to travel with the circus, they could, they could chain up those elephants with a stake only a few inches down into the ground. Because why? Because the elephants would not even try. Why? Because they had given up hope. Let's not give up hope of reaching the lost in our community. Just because we haven't had success in the last five years, 10 years, 15, 20, 25 years, whatever it might be, don't give up hope of people that you know, people that you love, that we could perhaps reach with the gospel. Because giving up hope is what happens to people and churches sometimes. They stand in place without any stakes at all, bound only by their traditions. Please, let's not let that happen here. As we get ready in the coming years to reach out more than we've ever reached out, let's not let that happen here. Christ has set us free to love God, to love one another, to love our neighbors who so desperately need it. They need God. By the way, that family that the woman scared away by having them move from her pew, I never was ever able to get them back. We lost six precious souls because of her custom. If we're going to keep our relationship with Christ vibrant and alive, we must focus on God's Word, not any man-made tradition. More than that, we must also focus on inward purity. Inward purity, not outward performances. Focus on the inner attitude of the heart. Not the outward actions that may not be true. Or as Jesus puts it here in Mark chapter 7, we must focus on a clean heart, not clean hands. Verse 14. He called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you 
and understand this is nothing outside of there is nothing outside a person that go by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Verse 20. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For for within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride. Oh, that's a big one. Foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus is here speaking in a moral sense, not a medical sense. It's still a good idea to, to wash your hands before you eat so you don't get sick. But a person is not defiled morally by what he eats, even if his hands are not washed. But on the other hand... A person is defiled morally by what he thinks in his heart. Even though his hands are scrubbed so clean, they squeak. Jeremiah chapter 17. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Go back to the previous three last bulletin articles I wrote. Not the one today, but the previous three. The power of example. True stories of the power of example. Is our lives testifying to the change that Jesus has made in our hearts? You see, our hearts can go so many different ways. You might remember a few years ago the terrible genocide that took place in the country of Rwanda. Horrible genocide. You had people, even neighbors, killing their neighbors all for this fanatical cause. After that was over and law and order had been restored, a preacher and his wife visited that country. The wife expected to to see monsters because she knew they were going to uh, be talking to some of the people who had actually done the killing. See, she expected to see horrible men and women that had been involved in this, but she did not see that. She saw people a lot like folks that she knew, even people like herself. Here's what she said. You might as well face the shameful truth. You and I, put in the right situation, will do absolutely anything. Given the right circumstances, I am capable of any sin. I've grown more afraid of the monster lurking in the dark corners of my own soul than of any monster lurking in the dark corners of my house. The question is, how do we take care of that monster lurking in the dark corners of our soul? How do we take care of the evil within? How do we get a clean heart? It's 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, are we walking in the light? Friends, are we walking in the light? Can people see the difference that Jesus has made in our lives? 
If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If you want to be clean, truly clean, it doesn't start with trying to clean up your own act by your own will and power. It doesn't start with you attempting to change your outward behavior. No, it starts with you admitting your inward sinfulness and trusting and obeying Jesus, and He will make the difference in your hearts. My friends, that's truly what keeps our relationship with Jesus fresh and vital. It's trusting Christ to continue His work of changing us from the inside out. It's a lifelong process, but it will continue only as long as we focus on God's Word, not tradition. And only as long as we focus on clean hearts, not just clean hands. Are you a Christian today? Have you taken the steps to become a Christian? Do you believe? Will you repent? Will you confess? Will you be baptized? If you've done that, and as a Christian... You look at your life and your power of example is weak. And you know it's weak. You know you're struggling with sins in your life. As a Christian, seek forgiveness. The church here stands ready to pray with you and for you. James 5, 16. If anyone here this morning has any need to respond, we pray that you'll do that. As we stand and sing for your encouragement today. Amen. Uh-huh.